three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with Jesus some of these people. I just, Put um, down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would uh, you rather? All right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits Episode 4. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen, and essentially this is a podcast about, well, just about everything, ranging from psychology and philosophy to nutrition to dating and back again. This week, we're going to cover a bunch of really exciting topics, including among the hundreds of thousands of people we meet over the course of our lifetimes, how do we decide who sticks around and who we leave behind? Essentially, how do we choose our lifelong friends? The Oscars are coming up. What's my pick for best movie of the year? And which movie can I no longer see because the ending was spoiled for me? Water, the answer to all of our problems. How much should you drink every day? And why doesn't anyone drink plain old water anymore? And finally, baseball's almost back. But the biggest stars in the game are still free agents. Why? And what team have had the best and worst offseason so far? All that and a whole lot more on this week's episode of Nervous Habits. So I know that we usually stick to three topics per podcast. I'm, I'm going to try to you know mix it up a little bit, see if I can squeeze four in this week and stay close to that 45-50 minute threshold. I know I can't occupy your uh, your guys' attention for too too long. Um, so you know, I, as I like to say, feel free to jump around. Um, if you're not you know a sports person, you can uh, you can abandon ship uh, after the uh, this week's fitness nutrition segment on water. Um, if you're not a movie person, you can skip that one as well. Always interesting to get feedback from everyone on, you know, which topics are most interesting to listen to and least. Uh, keep those emails coming at nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on Instagram at nervoushabitspodcast. Feel free to slide into those DMs, guys. Um, shoot me a message. Uh, the... Uh, communication has been um, really excellent so far uh, from from everyone. Uh, you know, really, I can't say enough about the, the feedback, both constructive criticism and um, you know, just general feedback I've received. Um, last week, you know, I did get a great email from um, from Brian. Uh, in I believe it was Westbury. This week, I, I want to share an email with you that I got from uh, someone uh, from Will in Queens. Uh, this this was also about episode two. And Will says, uh, Ricky, I've been loving the podcast so far. Keep up the great work. Um, episode two had some really insightful commentary around cell phone usage and what it means for the future of society. While I am in agreement with your points around the negative anxiety and distraction that their overuse causes, I think you looked over the positives they bring in regard to human communication and interconnection. Many of the connections and friendships that we make today would not be sustainable without this piece of technology. Hell, I wouldn't even be listening to this podcast without it. While it certainly changes the way we communicate from the real world to the virtual world, i.e. looking antisocial at the dinner table, our devices allow us to keep in touch with loved ones and share ideas with audiences that would normally be unreachable. I guess the cell phone overlords have already won uh, Will from Queens. So that's a little bit um, of a somber picture, Will, that that, <laughs> that you've painted. But look, 
uh, you know, you make some excellent points. I definitely do not want to overlook all of the positive impacts that technology has had on our lives and on the greater world in terms of how we communicate with, you know, instant messaging, um, <clears throat> with email, with text messaging, with Facebook messaging, with Twitter, or how we gain information uh, with the accessibility of, you know, internet searches and things of that nature. My conclusion in the last episode was more more so that our dependence on technology especially um, in in dating and in social settings, has kind of overreached. Um, and it's gotten to the point where with platforms like Instagram, people are, um, in a sense, you know, um, uh, in a sense relying on the platforms for, you know, their, their well-being and, you know, as, as a constant check-in for validation, you know, like, oh, if I don't have any um, new messages, new text messages, that must mean that I'm not, you know, my self-worth isn't very high. Or if I post something that doesn't have a lot of likes, you know, maybe that means that I'm not, a, you know, wasn't a valuable experience. So they're essentially um, equating their experiences and their memories uh, to the, this quantitative system of, of measuring it. So, I, you know, I definitely think, Will, uh, you know, you, you make a great point, and I, I, I want to reframe the conversation from episode two, make sure people understand. I'm not saying that there's no, um, you know, applicability to technology in the social world. It's certainly done a whole lot for everyone. And as Will said, you know, you wouldn't be able to listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or my website without it. So we owe a great debt to technology. Um, but, the, you know, the, the focus of my conversation was has it gone too far? Um, next week, and I'm planning to preview this at the end of this episode, we're going to talk about uh, artificial intelligence and really, you know, what the concerns are if we extrapolate the technological advances we've seen over the last five, 10 years into the future. We'll get into that in the next episode, but, you know, we'll appreciate your point. And guys, again, another example of, you know, a listener sharing some feedback and supplementing the argument, feel free to do so. Um, you know, shoot me those emails at nervous habits podcast. Uh, if, you know, and if there's something that I haven't discussed, a topic you want me to, to speak on, um, or something that, that you want me to go deeper into, right. If you're really enjoying the, you know, enjoyed the dating segment from last week or the technology segment from episode two, shoot me an email and we can broaden the discussion in future episodes. Also kind of a side note, uh, some of my friends have told me that they listen to the Nervous Habits podcast on Apple Podcasts at 1.5 times speed or, or two times speed. That to me is is pretty incre incredulous. There are some podcasters that speak a little slowly and, you know, uh, who wants to listen to an hour and a half of dead silence or, um, you know, just beats, but you know, I, I, I can't imagine how fast my voice sounds at, at two times speed. So if that's the case. Perhaps I should speak a little more slowly. Uh, cause I shudder to think what my voice sounds like, um, at that speed. Maybe I'll, I'll play back one of my podcasts just to see. So th the first segment I want to get to tonight has to do with something that I like to call the cast of characters you meet in your everyday life. Um, and, when I was a kid, actually, my, my dad coined this idea. The concept kind of stuck with me throughout my whole life, the cast of characters. And essentially, this is just all the people that you, that you see throughout your everyday life and, you know, over the course of your lifetime strung together, um, almost like 
you're producing a play and that's that's the cast. So like for example, you know, as a kid, we would go on these vacations um, to, for example, to like New Hampshire we used to go to and we met Byron, the guy that helped us at the bowling alley and Chris, you know, the waiter from Friendlies who made fun of me for ordering plain vanilla ice cream. And my dad, you know, would drive us back to the hotel and he'd just be like, oh, you know, now Chris is a part of the cast of characters we meet in our everyday life or Byron's a part of the cast of characters we meet in our everyday life. And if you guys think about it, Every single day of your life, you interact with hundreds of complete strangers. You know, the guy that holds the door open for you outside your office. The woman who works at the cafe that you frequent every day. The guy at the front desk of the gym. You know, those are all the, the minor folks. But then there's the more major people in this cast. Uh, the folks that you get to know. The coworkers at a temporary job. Um, roommates in an apartment you only live in for a couple months before moving out because you get bed bugs, right? Uh, your friend's exes that you see every day for you know a year, but then they break up, you never hear from them again. There's hundreds of thousands of names and faces and identities, and they're all swirling around in your life. Some of them you've probably forgotten, right? Like maybe you'll you'll be in Ben and Jerry's and you'll see an ice cream flavor and be like, oh, you know, uh, Christina's ex-boyfriend used to love that flavor, or um, you know, oh, that uh, that coworker I had mentioned that that movie that's playing, right? This is your cast of characters, and it's almost like you guys know how much I love movie references. If any of you have ever seen the movie The Truman Show, it's an amazing movie. It's it's lighthearted, but it has a deeper meaning. And you know, in the movie, this guy Truman, his entire life is a twenty-four hour, three hundred sixty-five day a year televised show that everyone in the world watches, and everyone's in on it except for him. He has no idea that any of this is going on, and you know. To a certain degree, guys, that's your life. Your life is a TV series. You're the star, and there's a supporting cast, and each day is an episode. Maybe each year is a season, however you want to you wanna frame it. But, you know, th- the important thing to consider here is, you know, your life is a TV show. You know, you have your own, let, let's get to this metaphor. You have your own theme song, credits, and your best friends, and your parents and siblings, and boyfriend, girlfriend, they're in the opening sequence. But just like a TV series, people come and go. You know, unfortunately, you're stuck with family. They're entrenched. They're like the, you know, the the stud A-list actor that nobody likes, but you know, brings the name recognition, so they got to keep them in for the viewership. That's your family. Friends and relationships will come and go. So let me pose this question for you: How do we decide who gets to stay as a main player on our TV show? Who gets to be at the head of our cast of characters? You know, one of my closest friends and I, we always talk about this, this metaphor and the way we frame it is your life is broken into chapters, chapters of a book. Chapter one is, you know, the formative years, grade school. Um, Chapter two, maybe that's high school. Chapter three is college. Chapter four is your first job or grad school. And each chapter you meet different people. You have different friend groups. You know, maybe you have different relationships, um, different acquaintances. And you get to decide when a chapter ends, when you leave a job, when you finish college, when you quit, you know, when you uh, graduate from high school, you get to decide who in that chapter you want to drag into the next phase of your life. But how do we decide who moves on to the next phase and who gets to stay with you? I'm sure you've all experienced meeting someone amazing who you have so much in common with, um, who you'd be amazing friends with. But for some reason or another, you lost touch with them. You know, maybe you were in different chapters of your life, right? Timing, everyone talks about how important timing is. That's going to be a theme of of this pod. Timing is everything. And by the way, I want to emphasize, this is not um, meant to be romantic. 
this, uh, you know, the overriding concept here. It's platonic. I'm mostly talking about the continuity and friendships in the cast of characters in your life. Um, so again, how do you decide who moves on to this next phase? And everyone's answer is different. In my opinion, I think number one, convenience is a huge issue. If you guys live near each other permanently, you're probably going to be friends for a long time, right? But this isn't always true. You know, most of my best friends don't even live near me in New York. And despite the distance, despite the fact that we're, you know, hundreds of miles apart, we've managed to persevere, thanks in large part, Will, to technology. Um, but also because we both put effort in. And so that leads me to number two, guys, a willingness for both people to put in effort. And this is something I, I hear from people all the time with their friendships. You know, people say, oh, you know, I'm always initiating and so-and-so never texts me or call me or, or initiates the conversation. Listen, a friendship where you're always reaching out 100% of the time is destined to fail, right? It's exhausting to always be the one, you know, to look at your calendar and be like, oh, it's a month since I talked to, you know, uh, uh, so-and-so, time, time to reach out, right? You need some sort of reassurance that the other person has a desire to be friends with you and that you're not, you know, the annoying dead weight from high school that just won't go away. And that's how some people feel in those types of relationships. Um, you know, on a personal note, I had a friendship in high school that when we finished high school, felt like I was putting in 100% of the effort. You know, if you look at the, the text message conversations, there was a lot of blue for me and not a whole lot of gray. And the other person wasn't putting in, you know, more than zero, <laughs> zero, one, two, three, four percent. And it failed because, you know, it's, it's like if you're, if, if you're hanging on the edge of a cliff, you know, with, with, with your hands as opposed to right your other you're hanging on the edge of a cliff guys eventually you're gonna get tired you need someone to pull you up and i'm not saying it has to be 50 50 but the other person has to show that they care uh so convenience a willingness for both people to put in effort the other thing that will determine if someone stays in this cast of characters and moves from chapter to chapter in your life uh is number three in my opinion a strong base of shared history and this is why I believe most people find their best friends and a lot of the time their future wives or husbands in college. Just because you're spending four years together every day, you know, living alone um, in your own little world in a dorm or, you know, having every meal together in a dining hall, those memories will last a lifetime. Um, and I, I would venture to guess that if you kind of, you know, considered your cast of characters, having that strong base of memories to pull on would be a, a, a huge attribute as well. You know, just because just not only do you have the common ground, but if there's a lull in conversation, you know, there's always memories you can, you can draw back on. There's always things that will make you laugh, things that if you're fighting will, will bring you guys back together. Hey, you remember that, <laughs> that one time that you did that, that stupid thing? And, um, you know, it, it, just having, having that, that base ties you to the other person um, for better or for worse. So just, you know, kind of take a moment to consider all the people you've met in your life, your own cast of characters. Who is in your title credits? You know, why are they there? Do they belong there? Should they be demoted to recurring status, right? Not featured in every episode. 
And if there's someone that you lost touch with, someone that, you know, you guys watch TV shows. It's like, oh, I, I want to see more of that guy. Whatever happened to uh, to, to, to that, uh, that, that, that guy that played the, the dorky forensic scientist? We don't see him anymore in, you know, CSI or, or LAPD episodes. If they're not there anymore and there's someone you lost touch with, reach out. No one wants to be the first to reach out because they're afraid of showing they care. And, you know, that, that's 2019. It's, it's cool to be callous, right? It reminds me of the iron law of friendships and relationships. Uh, this, this, is, this is very dark, but this is uh, poignant and, and uh, very accurate in my opinion. The power lies with whoever cares less, right? Because if you care more, you have more to lose. And there's also the whole... Um, basis, you know, the law of attraction, how we want what we can't have, we want the unattainable. Um, that's, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But just the fact that it's cool to be callous applies not only to romantic relationships, but to friendships. Um, you should try to defy that, right? Don't be ashamed to show someone that you care. Be the first person to reach out. It is so easy today with technology, again, to send someone a message or, I mean, take take it to the next level. Uh, write them a letter. I saw a tweet the other day. I, I would attribute it, but I don't remember who, who it was from. But if you know someone's address that you haven't spoken to in a while, why don't you go on Amazon and mail them a book just to let them know you were thinking about them. It can be something, you know, something cheap. Uh, it doesn't have to be hardcover, first edition. It can just be like, Quote, you know, a book on proverbs or quotes or jokes and sayings. Um, hell, they might never read it, but the gesture itself will mean the world to them. You know, that's that's not only kindness, but that's that's longevity and friendship. And you know, I urge you to to, to kind of consider that, to kind of consider each chapter of your life thus far. Um, you know, who the cast of characters have been, the minor players and the major players, who's made it to you know, the next round. Um, I think about this all the time with my friends. You know, when I was growing up, uh, I kind of had a lot of different friend groups and it was only in college that I found my, my lifelong friends, my base, you know, created that, that, uh, that strong base of shared history that's going to carry me, um, through, uh, you know, through hopefully the rest of my life. So takeaway there is, is definitely ponder the, um, you know, the, the people you've connected with and and how you personally decide who who sticks around and who will stick around because in my opinion you know when we talk about the meaning the purpose of life and that'll be a a, a theme throughout nervous habits uh, it's really all about the connections you make uh, the relationships you form people uh, excuse me places are transient it's it's the people that allow you to to form lasting memories. Right, uh, for for those how I met your mother friends out there, what what did Barty say in the, in the last episode? It's like, uh, um, no matter what you do in life, it's only legendary if your friends are there to see it. <laughs> Shout out to NPH and and Barney Stinson, um, legend in his own in his own right. So that's the the cast of characters. Um, Want to turn to movies? I am a huge movie buff and. A part of me prefers movies to television. I, I think that TV is a huge commitment. Essentially, you need to take like 10 hours of your life 
to learn about characters and storylines. And some shows are a slow burn. Some shows, you know, you you watch an episode or two, and it's just so so much world building, as we call it, so much setting the stage and learning the characters' backstories. And who has time for that, right? A movie is just a two-hour reprieve from your life, you know, where you learn about the lives of others, where you can kind of vicariously live through another character. It's usually, you know, this grandiose plot and incredible special effects. And so, being a huge movie guy. Every year for the last six, seven years, I'd made a vow to see all the Best Picture-nominated films with a couple of exceptions. I didn't see The Grand Budapest Hotel in 2015 because I don't really get Wes Anderson. I know a lot of people you know, think that he's like new age. and um, it, To me, he, I, I just don't understand him. I feel like I, I, I missed, missed the memo there. I also didn't see The Phantom Thread last year because the trailer kind of made me nauseous. I, I didn't really see the appeal in a movie about sewing a dress. It, you know, kind of kind of seemed like clockwork. Other than that, um, you know, my um, routine is usually to watch the trailer to make sure I can get through it. And then, as I said, if it feels like work, I won't really, won't really bother. I actually, and I may have mentioned this in one of the first three episodes, uh, I have a movie list. Uh, it's one of my many like OCD um, qualities or eccentricities, as I like to call them. And I've been maintaining this movie list, guys, over the last, I want to say like nine or ten years. It started um, back like senior year of high school or freshman year of college. And it includes every movie I've ever seen. And it's ranked. So so like from you know one to three, four hundred. Um, and it's rated out of ten. So each movie gets like a... Uh, you know, an eight, eight, eight point five, or, or nine, and I think now it's down to the hundredth place. Now it's like eight point two five, seven point seven zero. I have to caution you with the list, though. I'm a harsh critic. I am a harsh critic, and and I'm gonna go through that list at some point down the line once I've kind of won you over, and I know you won't <laughs> leave my pod because I'm crazy. Um, but my friends will ask me, you know, if they need a movie rack, they'll be like, "Hey, Ricky, can I consult the list?" You know, in all its glory. So this year, obviously, um, the films just keep getting better and better as, uh, you know, as it becomes easier to produce films, right? Like back in the day, it was only like Paramount Pictures and Lionsgate and Warner Bros. Now you have Amazon has a movie studio, uh, Amazon Prime, and, you know, Netflix is putting out films. So it's become more competitive. And in my opinion, the quality of movies has has gotten greater. Uh, This year, of the eight films nominated, um, I've seen four. I do have, I do have like a couple weeks to see the other four. Um, of the four that I've seen, here's my uh, <laughs> my like you know nose in the air critical opinion. Um, take it for what it's worth. Vice I thought was an excellent film. Uh, I learned a lot about Dick Cheney that I didn't know, and I consider myself plugged into politics, but. Um, I did think it was it was fairly informative, um, if viewed as like a documentary, like a satirical documentary. Christian Bale was was out of this world. I mean, the dude put on like six hundred pounds. I mean, just I, there's a photo of him on the film set. Looks like he's wearing a fat suit. But um, I do feel like they kind of stupefied um, George Bush, uh, Sam Rockwell, and uh, Donald Rumfeld, Steve Carell. I feel like they included them as like the the dumb characters for laughs. Where in real life, I know that that President Bush, um, you know, isn't the the brightest bulb in the attic. But 
you know, some of the lines that Rockwell, um, you know, uttered, it's just like Bush, you know, Bush was a little, little smarter than that, but I thought Vice was very good. Don't think it's, it's a serious best picture contender just cause, uh, I mean, it was controversial, um, about, you know, with regards to historical accuracy, with regards to, you know, the theme or the, rather the, the tone, um, some people thought it was Oscar bait. I just don't see it as as a, a best picture. Um, Adam McKay, I, I think that was the director uh, who did the uh, the big short also, um, tends to, to make the films that way. Uh, so, you know, for what it's worth, good movie, not my pick for best picture. Um, Black Panther, another incredible superhero movie. Um, to my knowledge, the you know, one of the first ones to ever be nominated for Best Picture, definitely deserving, and obviously because of the impact it's had on popular culture for uh, Black Americans and and the community at large. Um, don't want to take anything away from it, but I don't see Black Panther winning uh, Best Picture in in the year with you know the the other movies. But it is important to see Black Panther having crushed all the box office records and um, you know inspiring generations of children um, and you know. Cultivating more inclusion for African American actors and, and things like that. It, it is important for them to have been nominated. Uh, Black Klansman was also a solid movie. Again, again, guys, like with Wes Anderson, I didn't get it. And Spike Lee has that effect on most people, right? It, it, it felt like a comedy for, for the whole movie. And then the last like five minutes was just like dark footage from. Um, Charlottesville and and all these all these and that's that's fine like I appreciate the message that he was trying to send um, but didn't make a whole lot of sense to me it was entertaining for sure uh, and I thought what's his face was pretty good the guy who played um, uh, in Star Wars the guy who played uh, uh, Kylo Ren Adam Driver but you know not my pick for best picture right now of those four, Vice, Black Panther, Black Klansman, and the other movie I saw, Green Book. Um, Green Book, for sure, is is my favorite that I've seen this year. Uh, you guys have probably seen the posters with Viggo Mortensen in the front seat, Mahershali in the back, driving that blue convertible. Uh, it was a really beautiful, touching story of friendship. Um, and I know this sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm doing the voiceover for, for a trailer right now. But, but in all honesty, Viggo Mortensen really stole the show. Um you know, made his character so so like innocent and, and relatable. You know, throughout the 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 movie, Tony Lip, that's that's Mortensen's character, is writing these letters to his wife, and the guy is just completely inarticulate. He's he's writing, you know, dear, uh, I, I forget what her name was. Uh, we'll call her Meg. Dear Meg, you know, uh, I'm sitting here um, with uh, with the pianist, and uh, I'm having potato chips. I'm I'm getting thirsty. Um, I really should have, uh, <laughs> I should have brought the iron. Like you said, I'm drying my socks on the TV. Um, miss you. And that's the letter. So, you know, in movies nowadays, usually everyone turns into, you know, Shakespeare or Hemingway when they're writing letters to their family. So it was refreshing to finally meet a character who is like everyone else. And obviously, you know, you have the traditional tropes of, um, division and, and racism um, in a movie like this that's set in the Deep South. Um, so I thought it was well-acted. It was well-written. Um, I could see that uh, you know, winning for Best Picture. Um, now, regarding the four movies that I haven't seen, The Favorite looks decent. Um, I have not seen Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm not sure I want to. It, 
it seems like some of these biopics, the the, the musical ones, just just feel the same. Uh, nothing against Queen. I know the movie got rave reviews. I just I'm not sure I can bring myself to see that one. Um, Roma is actually the Vegas odds favorite to win right now. So of course I'm gonna have to see that at this point. Um, I, I think it was shot in like black and white, so stylistically felt like the artist uh, or feels like the artist. The silent film that won. Um, I think it was like six or seven years ago. So definitely, you know, have to see Roma. And as far as A Star is Born is concerned, I was all set to see that one. You know, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I dig it. The music um, was catchy. Every time I went to see a movie, the trailer was playing. I was all set to see it. And someone actually spoiled that movie for me. I was having dinner. And she just told me, just kind of out of the blue, uh, you know, have you seen A Star is Born? I said, no. And she goes, oh, you probably shouldn't see it because. And she just kind of, you know, just told me how the movie ends. And now I feel kind of weird seeing it. You know, I'm sure you guys all have books or movies where you know how they end, like, the Sixth Sense, for example. Everybody and their mother knows the twist in that movie. Um, but does that mean that you shouldn't bother watching it? Same thing with books, right? Uh, Romeo and Juliet, I guess this is like a very uh, you know, elementary example, but everyone knows they die. Sorry, guys. They both kill themselves. Does that mean you shouldn't bother reading it? In, in the Shakespeare case, I wouldn't argue against it just because I'm not the biggest... Um, Biggest Shakespeare fan, but I don't know. I, I still might see it because um, the the movie looks so good, but I'm not sure. I feel like it was it was ruined a little bit, and there may be kind of like a, a life metaphor in here, right? Like we all, uh, if you'll bear with me, we all know how our lives are going to end, but we live them anyway. Um, I, I know that's a little existential for a segment on movies, but in any event... Of the eight movies nominated, Green Book is the best one that I've seen so far. Uh, still have to see the favorite, Bohemian Rhapsody, Roma, and A Star is Born. So we may revisit this discussion after I see the, the remaining four. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about movies in the coming um, months. So definitely get used to it. And if you have opinions on um, movies that you've seen from this year, maybe movies that were snubbed that weren't nominated for Best Picture, um, or if you think one of the eight that I described was better or worse than I indicated, feel free to, to write an email, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. And it looks like the Academy Awards will be on February 24th. So that gives me about two and a half weeks, three weeks to, um, to watch these movies. So... For the fitness nutrition segment this week, I want to talk about water. And I know you guys must be thinking, are you serious right now? This, you know, this moron um, is really going to lecture us about water. Everybody knows you need eight glasses of water a day. That's, you know, it's one of the basic facts that you learn as a, a child. Your parents tell you, your teachers tell you, your doctors tell you. But I want to kind of reiterate it, and I want to take the discussion somewhere that it hasn't gone before in terms of, you know, why is it so important 
Um, wh what are the benefits of water that you might not expect? How much should you drink? And you know why you should really lay off the Coke, right? So I, uh, <laughs> I caught myself there. Coca-Cola, guys. Coca-Cola. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to do cocaine, you really shouldn't do cocaine. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think this is the podcast for that. <laughs> but uh, flub there. So I love water. I drink more water than anybody you'll ever meet. It is too much water. You know, doctors say you need eight eight ounce glasses a day. That's actually not that much. Those those Poland Spring water bottles are 12 to 16 ounces. So just three or four of those is all the water you're technically supposed to drink. And that means with meals, with working out, and just throughout the day whenever you, you know, uh, you, you're feeling a little thirsty. That's ludicrous. I carry around one of those huge camelbacks, like 32 or 40 ounce canteens, which according to the conventional advice, I would only need to drink like two of those to get my fill. When I go to the gym alone, guys, I fill that thing up three times. So that's like, what, 12 eight ounce glasses, 96 ounces alone. It is a lot, okay? When I go out to eat with my friends, the thing that makes or breaks the dining experience for me is how attentive the waiter is to filling our waters. For me, it's like, no matter how good your short rib grilled cheese is, is if I'm swallowing it with a dry throat because my glass is empty, it's going to be a poor dining experience, okay? I usually have my waiter refill my glass four or five, maybe six times, depending on how spicy the food is. Um, and it's important that, you know, that determines the enjoyability of a dining experience. You do not need to be as extreme as me, okay? But you really should prioritize drinking water. Uh, I know so many people who just who just don't do it who just drink, you know, and these people will drink so much alcohol on the weekends. And then during the week, oh, they'll have some orange juice, they'll have some coffee, they'll have some soda. But water is arguably the, the single most important habit that could improve your quality of life. That is not an exaggeration. Drinking a glass or two of water a day will do way more for you than, you know, taking a multivitamin or, you know, eating more vegetables. Um, whenever you go to the doctor and you're not feeling well, the first thing they ask you is if you're dehydrated, okay? The doctors will tell you if you're sick, rest up and drink lots of fluids. If you're trying to lose weight, chances are you're not drinking enough water. If you're tired, people, people will say instead of coffee, try water. People with perfect skin always talk about how much water they drink. It's my favorite beverage and by far does the, must for, uh, the most for you. Now on the other end of the spectrum, okay, is soda, aka sugar. A nice glass of sugar. Soda is absolutely vile. And, you know, if you drink uh, Coke, uh, Coca-Cola every day, all right, you're going to want to listen to this for, for, for a moment. I don't care if it's diet or Coke Zero. Do you guys want to know what's in a can of Coke? Okay, feel free to skip ahead 30 seconds unless you plan to never drink one again. For one thing, the thing that makes Coke so sweet and addicting, yes, it's sugar, but it, more specifically, it's high fructose corn syrup. That's just processed corn starch. Spend five minutes on YouTube and you can you know, see, see how and where that's made. HFCSs are hiding in everything we eat, especially processed foods and cakes. Besides that, guys, Coca-Cola contains phosphoric and citric acids. What is that for? That's to color it to make it look caramel all right, and add natural flavoring. Trust me, if you saw what a Coca-Cola looks like, Without those, you would not want to drink it. I was actually reading research by a writer, Wade Meredith, 
who said that a 330 mil, uh, milliliter can of Coke contains so much sugar that your body's natural inclination is to vomit. But that phosphoric acid I mentioned cuts the flavor in order to help you keep the liquid down. All right, it's, it's, it's toxic. And there's a great graphic that I'll share with you. I'll put in the details section on iTunes and Spotify about what happens in your body one hour after drinking a Coke. Spoiler alert, it is not good. Um, and by the way, this is not an attack on Coke. You know, I don't want to lose uh, advertising revenue if, if Coca-Cola um, you know, execs are listening. But why not drink water with your dinner instead of Coke? All right, I know people who don't like the taste of water. My sister, all the time, I try to give her water. She literally, she literally says she hates water. All right, like I, I don't. I mean, yes, it's it's. I guess uh, I don't want to say bland, but it's it's less sweet and flavorful than you know uh, uh, a, a can of of Coke. But um, your body is seventy percent water. The world is seventy percent water. Ninety percent of what you're eating is water. All right, people are obsessed with. You know, glitz and glamour, right? T- take a, something bland and and um, you know, sexy it up and, and make it something exciting. So, sparkling water, flavored water, mineral water, something called lacroix, which uh, th- that's a symptom of like the Whole Foods obsessed bougie generation. Everyone wants to dress food and drink up, but sometimes plain old basic water is what's best for you. All right, and as far as whether tap or bottled or filtered is best, you would think that bottled water tastes the best and is, is the best for you, right? I mean, because it comes from the springs of Colorado or whatever it says in the bottle. Not necessarily, actually. Uh, the Environmental Working Group did a study, and I'm also going to include this one for you, of 10 popular brands uh, just looking for the you know possible contaminants in all of them and the health benefits. They actually found 38 contaminants in those brands. All right, and so, so so that's bottled water, which you may be able to trust. You may not be able to trust as much as you think. Tap water in America is monitored closely by the EPA, so you know that it's not safe, right? Um, excuse me, you would <laughs> you know if it's not safe. Uh, bottled water, you know, it does lead to concerns about sustainability, you know, uh, pollution. Uh, so that's another benefit to tap water. On the other hand, it's not necessarily safe to drink tap in many areas, Flint, Michigan being a notable one. So my recommendation is to invest in either a Brita water pitcher or one of those uh, filter things that you put on your sink um, and use it every night just like I do. I mean it's it's literally un- unlimited, right? Like a Coke, you know, you go out to eat or, or, or you're at home, you have one and then, you know, you're going to want another but that's all you get. Water, it's all you can drink, <laughs> You know, so economically speaking, in addition to thinking about your health, it's definitely uh, a practical solution. Um, And, you know, to be completely fair, sometimes you can be dehydrated and not be missing water per se, but you're instead uh, needing those electrolytes that are in the, uh, you know, in something like a Cowrade or Gatorade. You need those uh, electrolytes like calcium and potassium. Those are decent alternatives to water. If you're working out and you're parched, absolutely pick up pick up a Gatorade, um, but don't turn to soda. Okay, so just just want to make sure you know that it's the easiest thing you can do to um, increase your quality of life, and something that most people just don't do enough of, especially as you age. You know, and 
uh, these things become more important. Uh, definitely make sure you're drinking. I, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm going to say that on every episode where, where I talk about nutrition. But if I was at the you know FDA or, or the EPA, I would double that. I would say you need, instead of uh, eight eight-ounce glasses for 64 ounces, I'd say you need 120, 128 um, ounces, what, 16 glasses of water a day. But that's just me. So, baseball. For the final segment, I want to wrap up with um, some some baseball. I cannot believe that it's still the offseason. It's February. Uh, and for all you baseball fans out there, here's where we are so far. Of the top 10 free agents, all right, most of them have not signed. I mean, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, superstar players in their prime, are still free agents. And it's essentially become a tug of war between players and ownership. So Machado and Harper insist that they're worth $400 million. For comparison's sake, Giancarlo Stanton got 13 years, $325 million from the Marlins a few years ago. But the owners do not want to award 10 to 12-year contracts anymore. And the owners have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. So we're holding, or excuse me, the players are holding out at this point to see who blinks first. And so as a fan, what we're left with is the best players in the game still being free agents with literally, what, like three weeks to go before spring training. I mean, I, I don't think this has happened before. You know, it's it's historic to have this many free agents, and, and I'm going to get into all of them later, but not signed with this little time to go. Going into the offseason, I predicted Machado would be with Philly and Harper to the Dodgers. But who knows, guys? I mean, Machado could go to the White Sox or, you know, maybe the Padres. Harper could go to the Phillies. Um, it's just sad that here are these two franchise players who are worth five, six, seven wins apiece every year, and only three or four teams out of 30 are in on them. Um, every team in baseball should be in on them because he would make they would make every team better. And it goes to show you how owners are squeezing players right now and dictating their value. And those of you out there who are saying, oh, you know, like these guys should be happy. They're making, you know, $10, $15 million a year. Why are they being so greedy? Imagine if if this was your workplace, right? And, and you know, you weren't getting paid what you believe, you know, was your fair value. So you have to understand on principle, these guys are, you know, trying to defend themselves and, and you know, their, their, um, their occupation. There were talks of a strike happening. We haven't had a strike since 1994. I was was two back then. I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to go that far, but um, you know, you have Harper, you have Machado, Koikel, uh, the the starter, and, and Kimbrel the closer, still free agents. Really, there haven't been a lot of major signings this offseason. You know, you had Corbin was signed by the Nationals. That was a great move by them to bolster their rotation. AJ Pollock was signed recently by the Dodgers. Uh, great for them, but if they don't sign Harper then it's a head-scratcher why they traded Yaziel Puig, one of, one of my favorite players, and Matt Kemp to Cincinnati. Donaldson was signed by the Braves. That's going to be good for them to fortify their lineup. Definitely the team to, be, uh, to, to beat in the NL East. Um, Yasmani Grandal was signed by the Brewers, which was unusual because the Mets offered him a four-year deal for you know 50-something million. He took a one-year deal from the Brewers for like 16 million. Um, Nelson Cruz was signed by the Twins. I have no idea what they're doing. And then the Phillies, uh, aforementioned Phillies, who had a stupid amount of money to spend, as their owners have said, um, did sign Andrew McCutcheon, 
uh, and you know they made a couple deals. But that is literally all that's happened in November, December, January, in three, four months of off season. You know th- there have been some trades made. Um, we'll talk about those in a sec. But it has been quieter than off seasons past. And you know the Super Bowl just ended, so so the spotlight's really going to turn to baseball. Um, and something you know dominoes are going to start to fall soon. Uh, if I think if Harper or Machado sign um, in the next week or two, everyone else is going to sign quickly thereafter. Uh, but the window is shrinking, and it we could see a situation where it's March fifteenth. We're halfway or two thirds done with spring training. These guys aren't signed yet. I mean, <laughs> Bryce Harper. This is an MVP player. So. It's a head scratcher, but as I said, you know it's it's a fight between the ownership and the um, and the players and, and the players' association, um, and we might see um, you know other changes to the game. Um, I'll get into those in a future episode. They're they're you know discussing potentially instituting the universal DH, a minimum of three batters for every pitcher. I don't know what they're doing with with base, but just leave the game alone. The the game is America's pastime and has been for a long time for a reason. Leave it alone. Um, now, I know the off season's not over yet, but let's kind of review who's had the best and worst off season so far. Um, I'll, I'll give three teams from each category, and then I'll talk a little bit about the Mets and Yankees. The Reds, believe it or not, have made a ton of good moves. They brought on uh, you know Puig, Kemp, and Alex Wood from the Dodgers. Uh, they traded for Tanner Rourke from the Nationals. It looks like they're going for it in 2019. Should be interesting because that division looks like it's wide open. Um, you know the Brewers are going to, excuse me, the Brewers are going to be there, um, and potentially the Cardinals and Cubs. But it's you know there's not one team um, that that's you know going to decimate the competition like you see in other divisions. So the Reds want to give them their credit. Seattle. Every offseason, you know, it seems like Jerry DePoto has nothing better to do than uh, wheel and deal. But they, they're the most active team by far. You know, they traded for Edwin Encarnacion. Did I say that right? Encarnacion with Cleveland. Traded Justice uh, for Justice Sheffield with the Yanks. They lost Paxton in that deal. Um, they traded for J.P. Crawford with the Phillies. They had a blockbuster trade with the Mets. Gave up Cano and Diaz. Uh, but they did get a number of the Mets' top prospects and Jay Bruce. Um but because they were able to unload Cano's contract and they have all that flexibility, um, you know they're poised to compete in the next couple of years as well. Looks like they've stashed uh, some prospects. I think I read somewhere they're up to like seven top 100 prospects. So you know, give Depoto credit, really uh, taking that franchise in in a good direction. And the other team that I think deserves recognition for having an excellent offseason so far is the Nationals. The Nationals I mentioned added uh, Corbin. Um, Annabelle Sanchez, they traded for Jan Gomes with Cleveland, and they picked up Kyle Barrett-Claw with the Marlins to bulk up their bullpen. Maybe Harper comes back. I, I didn't mention the Nationals as a potential destination, uh, but maybe he doesn't. You know, that team looks ready to contend again in 2019. Uh, everyone knows, you know, they <laughs> they either miss the playoffs or they get eliminated in the first round. Uh, Ted Lerner, you know, you're up there in age. We're, I'm hoping, not as a Met fan, but um, as a human being, I'm hoping you get to see a competitive team this year. So the Reds, Seattle, and the Nationals, best off seasons. The most disappointing, the Cubs. You know, they've stood pat while the rest of the NL Central, uh, the Brewers and Cards, have gotten much better. The Marlins, I, I don't know what in the world they're doing. You know, they 
probably the most obnoxious thing about this offseason, aside from the fact that Machado and Harper have taken an attorney to sign, has been the JP, JT Rio Muto stuff. I mean, it seems like, you know, every day there's a rumor of a deal and something going on. And Derek Jeter, you know, just Jesus Christ, just trade him already. No, Real Muto doesn't want to be in Miami, and people are sick of hearing about this. The only good thing the Marlins have done is uh, they did sign international free agent, the man with two first names, Victor Victor Mesa. Um, but, yeah, what a miserable offseason for them. And the only team that might be worse than the Marlins this offseason is the San Francisco Giants. They have done absolutely nothing. If you go on MLB trade rumors, it gives you like a rundown on what every team has done. The Giants have done nothing. They've done jack shit. Um, you know, maybe maybe they'll be a dark horse mystery team to sign Harper or Machado, but I don't know what the hell they're doing. They should just trade, uh, excuse me, trade Bumgarner rebuild. So most disappointing teams, in my opinion, the Cubs, the Marlins, and the Giants. The Mets and Yankees, being that, you know, I'm a New Yorker and uh, obviously pay careful attention to these teams, they're both kind of in between great and disappointing off-seasons. I'll explain why. The Yankees first, they're a more black and white case. Yes, they got deeper in the rotation, adding Paxton and bringing back Jay Happ. Yes, their bullpen looks like stupid good with Adovino, Britton, Betance, and Chapman. But guys, they're rivals. The Red Sox just won the World Series, not to mention the Super Bowl. Um, their fan base needs that one big move to put them over the top. Machado would make a lot of sense for them. They don't look like they're going to do it. Even if the rotation, or excuse me, um, the rotation they could use a big uh, a big splash with you know, a trade for a guy like Chris Sale, like the Red Sox did, doesn't look like they're going to do it. So it was a good offseason. You know, I'm, I'm not saying Cashman you know, hasn't done anything, but I don't think that, you know, they, they've they done more than um, a team like the Astros, for example, that um, added Brantley, and, and the Astros are, are contented, and they're serious about it. So definitely room for improvement for the Yankees. So I think they've had a good, not, not stellar offseason. And the Mets. The Mets are a very, very confusing team. Uh, they bring on a new general manager in Brody Van Wegden who immediately has a conflict of interest because he represents half the team, right? DeGrom, Syndergaard, et cetera, et cetera. Tebow, <laughs> um, who, of course, the clown show of Tim Tebow attempting to play professional baseball, of course he signs with the Mets. So they choose to bring on this guy, Van Wegden, who has no experience in baseball aside from being an agent, instead of a talented young baseball mind like Tampa Bay uh, Rays um, exec Chaim Bloom. On day one, Van Wagner has all this, um, you know, talk about wanting to win a championship, and uh, he's saying all the right things. He makes a big splash. He's trading for Cano and Diaz from Seattle, but he's giving away two of their top prospects in Jared Kalenic, their first uh, round pick from last year, and Justin Dunn, especially Kalenic, who many think is going to be a special player. So he's signaling that they're going all for, uh, all forward in 2019. But the elephant in the room has always been money. Will the Will Ponds spend? Will the owners spend? Are they going to do anything, right? We've suffered through eight of 10 losing seasons. 2015 was amazing. They almost made it, or excuse me, they almost won the World Series. They choked, right? And then 2016, they lost the wild card game with Syndergaard pitching the game of his life. But will they spend? And the answer is no. It will always be no. Same GM, excuse me, new GM, same problems, right? The Mets need a bat. The Mets have needed a bat. For, it seems like a decade. The pitching was top five last year in baseball. The rotation's great. The bullpen's improved with Diaz and Familia and Justin Wilson. But the lineup still sucks. 
It doesn't match up with teams like the Braves or the Brewers or the Dodgers. All right. And Van Wegman's going to say, he said to the press the other day, oh, you know, we, we made a big splash. We just spread it around. Hey, buddy, someone should tell him a big splash. <laughs> Spreading something around isn't a big splash. If I throw 20 pebbles into the swim in, in, into the ocean and they all make little splash, that's not a big splash, Brody. All right, you signed Jed Lowry. He's he's a fine player. All right, they're counting on Nimmo and Conforto to continue to produce, Alonso to come up. But if they were really going for it, which they signaled they did by trading their top prospects, they would be in on Harper and Machado, and they never were. This is like in, in Breaking Bad, what Mike Ehrmantraut said to, uh, to Walter White, no more half measures. This is a half measure. Either rebuild and trade your whole farm for, you know, fresh new infusion of talent to the farm system or go all in. They're doing it halfway. And how can we grade their offseason of success? I see people online saying, oh, you know, the Mets, the Mets have impressed me. They've made so many trades. The owners are handcuffing Brody Van Wegenen, you know, to, uh, to handcuffing him and refusing to give him the resources that he needs to succeed. So I'm not criticizing Brony. It's on the owners. It's on the Will Ponds. So yeah, that's, you know, there's going to be a lot more baseball. Uh, in a few weeks, I'll be doing my official 2019 predictions for the division winners and World Series matchups. So write those down. And then, you know, in uh, in seven, eight months, you can completely ridicule me if I end up being totally wrong. But uh, again, you know, Reds, uh, the Seattle Mariners, Washington Nationals, hats off to them. Chicago Cubs, Miami Marlins, San Francisco Giants, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves. Get it together. And Mets and Yankees, as Larry David would say, eh. Um, so, you know, in summary, there's been a lot of great takeaways from this pod. I know it ran a little bit longer than than a lot of the other ones. Uh, remember, you know, when you're, you're reflecting on your cast of characters, uh, who has stuck with you through different chapters of your life, you know, the, the key considerations are convenience, willingness and equality in both people putting in efforts and having that strong base of shared history. Remember, if there is someone that, that you know, kind of drifted away from, uh, just be sure to you know, be kind, reach out, um, go against that that trope that it's cool to be callous. Um, the Oscars are, are coming up. Uh, I prefer Green Book for Best Picture. Vegas prefers Roma. And it looks like A Star is Born. Uh, I may not be able to see that. Thanks. Thanks, mystery person. Um, water. Make sure you're getting... Uh, the Dr. Rosen, um, not Dr. Rosen, uh, prescribed 16, uh, classes a day, uh, stay away from Coke, the, the drink and the drug. Um, and you know, if, if you can't drink tap, stick with filtered. And finally, um, the Mets suck. The Mets are a disgrace. You know, it's, I, I, I can't, but baseball's right around the corner. Let's see where, where Harper and Machado and the rest of them sign. Um, next week, we're going to be doing a very special show live from Orlando, Florida, um, with our first guest of the year. We're going to be having a very profound, oftentimes dark conversation about human nature. So feel free to pour yourself a stiff glass of whiskey or, you know, maybe light a joint if you're into that and get ready. Uh, we're going to be discussing consciousness all about the psychology and physiology of our internal conversations, answering questions like, how do we measure consciousness? Is consciousness something we develop or always have? And can babies be said to be conscious? Speaking of consciousness, should you be worried about artificial intelligence? And finally, lucid dreaming, how do you teach yourself to do it? This has been a lot of fun, this action-packed um, quad segment 
episode of Nervous Habits. Remember to keep those emails coming, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, also on Instagram at nervoushabitspodcast. Appreciate that um, insightful uh, feedback from Will uh, from Queens on technology. Be sure to you know continue to, to, to keep those coming. Um, and yeah, this is you know this has been great. Looking forward to episode five. Keep listening and stay nervous, guys. Thanks a lot. Have a great rest of your day.